Hey, it's Doug, and this is Thought Shrapnel Microcast number 88. And the three articles I want to talk about today, uh, one is from Salon Magazine, Why is Walking So Good for the Brain? Blame it on the spontaneous fluctuations. The second one um, is an older one from October 2020. This is from um, Polygon, Why Cloud Gaming Could Be a Big Problem for the Climate. And the third one is from Oliver Berkman, who used to write in The Guardian. He's now got a book out called 4,000 Weeks. And he has written a blog post which builds upon a Twitter thread we started, and it's called What If You're Already on Top of Things? So, the first one from Salon Magazine. Why is walking so good for the brain? Blame it on the spontaneous fluctuations. And the author of this, Thomas Nail, is a philosophy professor. And he talks about how the the point that we, we're told to, to walk because it's good and it helps our minds wander. And he says, but, but wait, aren't philosophers famous for walking and being rational at the same time? And he talks about how it can release endorphins and lowers our risk of depression and this and that. And the interesting thing for me is that it says that our brains are always looking for patterns. They're always looking for ways in which we can connect experiences together. And those ways of doing it, when we're walking, it can change those patterns of, of, that we can make between different things. And he talks about fractals and spontaneous fluctuations in our, in our brains. So I'll just quote a bit. It says, The most interesting positive finding we have so far is that these spontaneous fluctuations are neither random nor deterministic, but have an unpredictable fractal structure. A fractal is a pattern that roughly repeats across scales, like a tree who, whose few big branches have many smaller branches with even more leaves that look like tiny branches. Scientists have found that spontaneous neural activity follows a similar branching pattern throughout the brain and has a related proportion of a few slow and strong frequencies to more faster and higher frequencies scientists call pink noise. With this discovery, researchers are now starting to observe changes in these fluctuations relating to aging, consciousness, mental health, experiences of art and nature and memory. End of quote. Now I love walking in the mountains especially. And so this might help explain it, the fact that you can make sense of the world, you can make breakthroughs in your part of the world, and maybe big breakthroughs as well, through the simple act of walking. So I found this great, not only because it was about one of my favourite things to do, but it was also written by a philosophy professor. The second one is because I've been spending quite a bit of time using Google Stadia recently. And in fact, at a recent family meetup, I showed a couple of people in, in the family, in my wife's side of the family, um, how good Stadia was, and they were pretty blown away by it. Now, this particular article is because I'm also interested in, in climate change, and I came across it accidentally when I was looking for reviews of Stadia games. So this is from Polygon, which is a kind of gaming-focused online publication, and it's by Nicole Carpenter, and she says, why the title is Why Cloud Gaming Could Be a Big Problem for the Climate. So it's not just Stadia. There's uh, Project xCloud, which is a Microsoft thing, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. There's NVIDIA's got GeForce Now, and then there's other ones as well, which are, are less well-known. Um, and in this particular article, she says, uh, quote, You can think of cloud gaming as loosely analogous to Netflix, only for games. A piece of media is hosted off-site and is streamed to your device. 
rather than processing the information on your console, like you would if you were playing an installed or downloaded game, the work is outsourced to data centers that connect to us through a network of internet infrastructure. But cloud gaming is also different from Netflix and other forms of cloud computing in a critical way. Cloud computing requires data center capacity and network capacity. In general, this person who she's interviewing said, an application will require a lot of one or the other. A Google search uses a lot of data center capacity, but much less network capacity, because the hard part of the task is the computation, figuring out the information to present to the user. Because results are largely text-based, a relatively small amount of data is sent to the user. Meanwhile, YouTube requires a lot of network capacity and less data center capacity. And that's because videos are already prepared, waiting for a user to push play. Once a user does that, the network does a lot of work to bring that to the TV steam, yeah, stream. So cloud gaming, she says, uses a lot of both data center capacity and network capacity. And that's because the game has to process data and render video in real time, in addition to responding to a user's inputs when they press buttons on a controller. Per user, a cloud game is likely to use more data center energy and roughly the same amount of network energy as watching a video of similar resolution. So that's not great, is it? Um, and I hadn't really thought of that, although of course I should have done. Um, Stadia is great. Um, it allows you know to, you to get straight into the game. There's no downloads and stuff. So that maybe that's one thing they haven't factored in here. The fact the number of updates that have to be pushed to all the different devices and all of those massive downloads that happen before you can start. So I'd be interested to see a more nuanced analysis of this, although it is something I need to think about. The third one is by Oliver Berkman. What if you're already on top of things? And he says, quote, Apparently I struck, a, I struck a chord on Twitter the other day when I observed that many people, by which I mean me, seem to feel as if they start off each morning in a kind of productivity debt which they must struggle to pay off through, throughout the day in hopes of reaching a zero balance by the time evening comes. Few things feel more basic to my experience of adulthood than this vague sense that I'm falling behind and need to claw my way back up to some minimum standard of output. It's as if I need to justify my existence by staying, quote, on top of things in order to stave off some ill-defined catastrophe that might otherwise come crashing down upon my head. Anyway, he goes on and um, he says later on, uh, yada, yada, yada. This is why I'm such an enthusiastic proponent of keeping a done list which starts empty first thing in the morning and which you gradually fill with whatever you accomplish throughout the day. Each entry is a cheering reminder that you could, after all, have spent the day doing nothing constructive, yet look what you did instead. If you're in a serious psychological rut, just lower the bar for what gets to count as an accomplishment. Nobody else need to ever know that you added brushed teeth or made coffee to the list. But a done list isn't merely a way to feel better about yourself. If you can give up the impossible quest to pay off your productivity debt and instead start thinking of each day as an opportunity to move a small but meaningful set of items over to your done list, you'll find yourself making better choices about what to focus on. And you'll make more progress on them too, because you'll waste less time and energy being distracted by stress about all the other stuff you're unavoidably neglecting. End of quote. I see this as a bit of a sleight of hand, because you have to have a list of things that you need to get done. Um, if you're anything like me, then you need to make sure that you've got a list so that you know you can rem remind yourself to do it. We've got family lists, we've got personal lists, I've got all different kinds of lists. 
Now, I definitely take the point that if it's just a massive list and you're crossing them off, it feels a bit sad. Whereas if you're choosing something to do and then getting on with it, that feels better. And then you can say what you've done at the end of the day. So I'm not gonna keep a done list as such. What I do do is write down all the things that I've done in this kind of, what's it called? Hashtag journal that I've got at the end of the day. I just kind of say what I've done. Um, and that gives a, a sense of achievement a little bit, I guess. Um, but I think in general, the thing which is depressing and which means that we don't like doing, like working our way through lists is the fact that we're not in control of our time. And I think that's the main thing. And for me, I am in control of my time because I own my own business. It's pretty cool. Anyway, they're the three articles for today. Um, I'll have three more for you soon. <laughs>